Thanks, John. Thanks for the welcome. Morning. Can you sure grunt at me? I want to uh, read from the book of Acts, uh, a sort of little mini-series that I'm doing when I'm here with you for these five services called Keeping the Dream Alive. And uh, I want to read one of my favorite passages in Acts. It's from chapter 17, and it's Paul's encounter in Athens. I'm going to read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, This babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said, he's pushing some foreign religion. Then they took him to the council of philosophers. Come and tell us more about this new religion, they said. You're saying some rather startling things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious, for as I was walking along, I saw your many altars. And one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. You have been worshipping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose in all of this was that the nations should seek after God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things. But now he commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council a woman named Damaris, and others. Interesting episode. They say, those, are, those people who know languages, that English is the hardest language in the world to learn. Um, I can't say whether that's true or not. You'd have to ask someone who's come from Balamina whether it was hard to learn English. And that's just cost me one or two friendships. But it is complicated And a joke became so famous that um, it proved the point. You know the joke about the panda? Nod? No? 
The panda that walked into the restaurant, ordered a meal, had its meal. I've just seen another person from Balamina that I've probably offended. Actually, I didn't see him there. And uh, <laughs> had his meal. The waiter came with the bill. He looked at the bill, reached into his bag, pulled out a gun, fired all around the restaurant, and got up and walked out without paying. And the waiter just stood there baffled. And uh, ran out eventually after the panda and said, What's your problem? And the panda just turned and said, Look it up in the dictionary. So the waiter went, got a dictionary and looked it up and it said, Panda eats, shoots and leaves. It's a joke, okay. But there was a book actually named after it. Um, eats, shoots and leaves. Talking about the challenge of language. And showing how even where you place punctuation marks in a sentence can make a big difference. Or how you use your words. I came across this this week. It was uh, someone had been checking out their ancestor and they, they found this. Remus Starr was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. His business empire grew to include acquisition of valuable equestrian assets and intimate dealings with the Montana Railroad. Beginning in 1885, he devoted several years of his life to service at a government facility, finally taking leave to resume his dealings with the railroad. In 1887, he was a key player in a vital investigation run by, run by the renowned Pinkerton Detective Agency. In 1889, Remus passed away during an important civic function held in his honour when the platform upon which he was standing collapsed. Actually, here's how it goes. Remus Starr, horse thief, sent to Montana Territorial Prison, 1885, escaped 1887, robbed the Montana Flyer six times, caught by Pinkerton detectives, convicted and hanged, 1889. But it's all in how you use your words. You can make them say anything you want. As I've said, this series, Keeping the Dream Alive, is about Jesus' dream for his church. The dream that was to take the gospel into the world and see the world changed. And we're trying to learn some lessons from how the early church managed to see that happen in their lives. And trying to see if there's anything from them that we could emulate today that might help us. And this morning it's all about this. Mind your language. Quite an amazing incident happened one day in Jerusalem. An Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled in a really dramatic way. And a promise that Jesus had given to his disciples when they were worried about him going away actually came true. Jesus told them, look, don't worry that I'm going. It's going to be better for you that I go away because then God's spirit will come down. And God's spirit would come down and fill them and equip them for the challenge that he had left them. It happened on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50 days. And it was originally a feast that celebrated the completion of the barley harvest, 50 days after Passover began. Anyhow, on this day of Pentecost, God's Spirit was poured out in a remarkable way. And amidst all the excitement, and you can read it for yourselves in Acts chapter 2, but amidst all the excitement, one thing stood out for the people more than anything else. We're told they came running to see what it was all about. They were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. What stood out wasn't the fact that the sermon was a belter, although it was. The real impact for the people 
was that they heard the message in their own language. They were able to understand. And actually, as you read through Acts, you see that that's something that didn't just happen on the day of Pentecost. Throughout the book of Acts, you find the apostles engaging with people in ways that they could understand, in ways that were relevant to them. Of course, they'd had a great teacher. Look at the way that Jesus engaged with people. His encounters with individuals, the way he respected them, even those who had dubious lifestyles. Or his parables, how he drew people's attention to the things that they knew about. He showed them what was going on in in everyday life, what was going on around them. And he used those lessons to bring his message home. And as I look through the early church, I see that pattern repeated. And perhaps the best example is what we've just read in Acts 17. Paul in Athens at a place called Mars Hill. Three years ago I was at uh, the General Assembly of the European Evangelical Alliance just outside Athens. And actually we were back there in October past. But we didn't really have any free time. Uh, And I thought, what a shame to come this far and not get to see the Acropolis. I was one of those, you probably call it a geek, at school who did Latin right up to A-level. And Greek as well, which actually made it a lot easier going to Bible college. Afterwards, you had a bit of a head start. And I had done all the stories of ancient Greece. And I thought, I'm here and I'm not going to get to see it. So uh, a few of us left the hotel at a ludicrous hour on the Saturday morning and got a coach to the airport, left our bags in, got a train to right underneath the Acropolis, literally shot up the Acropolis, paid to get in, had a quick run around it, back down over Mars Hill. Um, And that was just the most fascinating, that's me with no hair, Um, standing on the top of Mars Hill, just around the place where where Paul had done the business here. And for me, actually I got goosebumps, just to realise that I was standing where, for me, significant Christian history had taken place, looking down over the Agora. And still today you can see the statues Uh, of the gods and the things that the Greeks were, were celebrating. Quite amazing. But Paul observed their city, and especially their religion. And he used that as a way to engage with them. And as you read it, you see how informed Paul was, and how respectfully he engaged with them. You don't find Paul coming in and, and slagging them off. You don't find him mocking their faith. You don't see him dealing ungraciously with them. In the same way that you never find Jesus doing it either. And I think it's a great model 